Welcome to Forever Seeking, the Notre Dame Prep Alumni Speaker Series presented by the Forever Saints Alumni Association. I'm Jenny Douglas, NDP's Annual Campaigns and Alumni Engagement Coordinator. This episode is sponsored by Gary and Lyric Knocken, parents of Katie 12 and Grayson 15. Notre Dame Prep is a diocesan Catholic high school located in Scottsdale, Arizona, founded on our three pillars of reverence, respect, and responsibility. As saints, we are forever seeking. This series features NDP community members who share how their involvement with NDP has impacted their lives and their ongoing search for wisdom, truth, knowledge, justice, and understanding. Today, we are joined by NDP alumnus Luke Zaro, who will be hosting our fourth speaker, Lynn Richmond, former member of NDP's English faculty. Luke Zaro is the oldest of three boys, all of whom attended NDP. Luke graduated from NDP as salutatorian in 2012 and was a member of the boys' 2011 championship soccer team. He then attended Fordham University in New York City and graduated in 2016 with a bachelor's degree in international political economy. In 2019, he graduated from the University of Virginia with a law degree and a master's in legal history. Luke was admitted to the DC bar last January and recently completed a clerkship on the US Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. He is now an attorney at a law firm in Washington, DC. Thank you, Luke, for joining us today. Hello, NDP alumni. I'm Luke Zaro, and today I'm joined by Lynn Richmond, former member of NDP's English faculty. Lynn Richmond was born in Chicago, Illinois, and received her degree in English from Purdue University with additional coursework at Xavier and Arizona State Universities. Early in her teaching career, she worked in both underprivileged and parochial school environments. After teaching for six years, she accepted a position with a nationwide advertising company as a client advocate and copywriter. Eventually, she was transferred to Phoenix and spent 13 years as a regional manager serving clients in the Southwest. After the birth of her daughter, she worked as a homebound teacher for Scottsdale Unified School District and eventually went back to the classroom with the Diocese of Phoenix at Blessed Pope John XXIII. When it was announced that NDP was opening, Lynn saw this as an opportunity and challenge. The vision of Dave Gonzalez, our founding principal, as well as a team of dedicated teachers with the same core values and work ethic, kept her at Notre Dame until her retirement. Lynn continues to work part-time for SUSD, providing instruction to students unable to attend schools. She also keeps busy working as a private essay coach to students applying to college and graduate schools, as well as teaching summer writing seminars. Hello, Lynn. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, you too, Luke. And good to see you again. Good to see you too. It's yes. great to reconnect. I know. It's been it a little is. while. It has been. It um, has been. But it's really great to see you. Thanks. So we're here to hear about you and your perspective and what you can offer to the students. Uh, so we'd love to start at the beginning. So did you always know that you wanted to be an English teacher? Why did you study English? How, do, how did you choose this profession? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> I started out uh, at Purdue University um, thinking about chemistry and dietetics. And uh, once I was there and realized that I was not suited for that field, um, I decided that English was more the direction I wanted to go in, mm -hmm. mainly because I'd really enjoyed it in high school and I had some excellent teachers and um, reading was always a part of my life. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Wow, that's great. Yeah. So you go to Purdue, you study English, uh, and right. what's your first job upon graduation? Well, there's kind of an interesting story with that. <laughs> um, this was in 1967, and there was a lot of um, riots at that particular time. Mm -hmm. Underprivileged areas were um, targeted, I think, um, and maybe targeted is the wrong, wrong word. I, 
to use, but mm -hmm. um, they were um, very um, under underfunded. Mm -hmm. Let me put it that way. And so um, there were a number of different riots at the time, and they occurred all over the United States. And Cincinnati had to be one of those places where I accepted a position to work in that area. Mm -hmm. So um, on the first day of school, as I walked into the parking or drove into the parking lot, the, uh, the policeman stopped me and said he'd like me to stand between he and the security guard so they could escort me into, mm -hmm. into school. Um, that was my first experience of being in that particular area, wow. and um, it was an eye-opener. It mm. really was. Um, life was completely different in, for those people than it had been for me, and even in, the, even in college when I um, experienced a, a lot of diversity, of course, mm. this was a totally different situation, and trying to deal with students who were not up to grade level, uh, students who were hungry, mm -hmm. students who were exhausted. Uh, I was teaching high school at the time mm -hmm. um, because they had worked another job and had just gotten off work and had come to school. Wow. Was a whole different world. Mm -hmm. So I was really kind of forced into uh, trying to find main means and ways to teach students with those kinds of disabilities, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a couple things. It was such a remarkable moment. American history, and then there's so many unique challenges yeah. you face there, and you're a young teacher. You know, what were some of the things that you used to try to overcome those challenges and help these kids who, you know, had a, so many things going on? Well, primarily it was, as far as the educational level was concerned, it was developing a program that I could deal with a classroom full of kids who were at different levels. So mm -hmm. trying to, to deal with that and then to find something that interested them mm -hmm. was um, another challenge. Uh, because at the time, you, you know, there was no internet. There was, there were, was not a video. Mm -hmm. um, everything that we did in the classroom was old school, as you would say. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it would, those were some of the challenges that, mm -hmm. that we tried to face. Wow. Mm -hmm. And just going back to that moment and, you know, teaching through that and being in a school, which was majority uh, of black students, if you see any parallels between that and what's been going on in our country, especially uh, this oh, summer. Abs absolutely. Um, yeah, Black Lives Matter is a real reflection on that particular period of time and mm -hmm. how, how we haven't come very far, really, mm -hmm. um, from the time that, that I started teaching in 1967 until today. So I'm very much an advocate of Black Lives Matter and um, hope that we can start to solve some of those problems mm -hmm. today. And it was this true during your time at NDP and certainly back then, you know, teachers engaging with students with social and cultural issues of the time, was that something that would come up regularly and how did you kind of incorporate that you know, the, into your, the into your culture, class? The culture at our school at that time was predominantly black teachers, mm -hmm. um, although there were a number of us who were, n were not. Um, but we just um, dealt with it as it came, you know. And uh, once the riots sort of subsided, we really didn't have a whole lot of problems from that time on. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a different period of time, Luke. It really was. Um, these were the days where 
um, as I was coming into school, if I saw a student who was um, standing and waiting for the bus, I could ask him, would you like a ride? And he could get in the car and, and ride with me. We mm -hmm. wouldn't dare do that, yeah. you know, today. Um, I had students who would come to my house and um, I could feed them dinner. Mm -hmm. um, that was not something that you could do today either. Mm -hmm. um, so there were a lot of... Um, leeways that we had at that particular period of time mm -hmm. yeah that's great um well and what a remarkable way remarkable way to start your career what a time um certainly oh yeah certainly i learned so much yeah. um about life and what mm -hmm. it takes to be a good teacher mm -hmm. you know so it was it was an eye-opening situation yeah very much so great and then i know you worked for an advertising company Correct. Uh, it sounds like it, you know, there's a gap between them before you returned to uh, teaching. Did you know you always wanted to become, uh, you know, return to teaching and get back <laughs> with the students? What brought um, you? Yeah, it was kind of interesting because the job that I had was, a lot of it was primarily sales and mm -hmm. working with clients and writing copy for them and so on. And I always found myself in that teaching situation, mm -hmm. you know, where I had to explain why we're using this source and what kind of direction we wanted to take and how we were going to sell the product or how we were going to get people to work for the company and so on and so forth. So yeah, mm -hmm. it was, I was always kind of teaching, you yeah. know, um, but that kind of business wears on you. Mm -hmm. And after 13 years, it was, um, it was time for me to, to leave. Mm -hmm. And at that particular period of time then um, is when we adopted my daughter. So it was a natural mm -hmm. kind of change for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thankfully for the whole NDP community, uh, for me, as one of your former students, for all of us, you found NDP right, uh, right at its opening. If you could speak a little bit of that, how did you find NDP? What drew you to the school and, I know, led to your fantastic tenure here? Yeah, it. Um, I had been working at, um, I guess it's St. John Pope, or yeah. St. <laughs> Pope John or whatever it is at this point, instead uh -huh. of uh, Pope John the 23rd, which is what it was when I was teaching there. Mm -hmm. And... Um, when uh, I had taught there, I taught there for three years, and I had taught junior high school, which really is not my forte. I really like to teach students that are a little bit older than that. Mm -hmm. So um, I spent three years there, very happy years. It was um, good to get back to teaching and good to refresh myself and techniques and so on and so forth. And then we got the news that Notre Dame was opening. And I jumped at the chance, <laughs> not because I really was unhappy at Pope John, but basically because it was a high school environment. Mm -hmm. So when it came over to um, interview with Dave Gonzalez, we just hit it off. Um, he and I had the same philosophy about education, his emphasis on reverence, respect, and responsibility, and trying to develop those themes um, were just phenomenal, phenomenal, and it was a very short or a very small group of teachers at the time. We started with 15 mm -hmm. wow. teachers here at that point in time. So um, we really bonded, and we all had um, the interest of developing the school mm -hmm. in mind. That's great. Yeah, so it worked worked out perfectly well. No, that's fantastic. And yeah. you mentioned the three R's. Obviously, the school still celebrates those values today. Yes, you could speak yes. a little bit about you know, what they meant to you, how you understood the values, and, you know, you know how you were able to incorporate that into your curriculum. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, basically, I think reverence is sort of obvious, mm -hmm. and it, but it really involves, for me, 
um, what or how a student looks at their spirituality. And um, the Catholic faith does such a great job of instilling morals in um, people that I just felt that that sense of trying to get that into the curriculum was important. Mm -hmm. um, respect, of course, is something that teenagers have to learn <laughs> because they don't tend to be some really nice people sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so not only respecting others, but respecting yourself. And so, um, mm -hmm. you know, trying to work along those lines in the curriculum. Um, responsibility, I, I think, is an aspect of growing up and it's kind of a bridge the way that I look at it, um, a bridge between, you know, listening to what your parents have to say and following their guidelines, but yet also learning how to respect yourself, mm -hmm. um, taking responsibility for what you do mm -hmm. and um, realizing that you're in charge of your education right now. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you to be able to develop that idea of how you're going to approach learning. Yeah. You know, so that basically was it. So what I tried to do is, in terms of the curriculum, mm -hmm. was to take those aspects. What we did when we started to develop the curriculum, which was an awesome thing to be a part of, to come into a school that had no English curriculum developed at all, and to, to develop that the way I, I wanted to do it, mm -hmm. and to develop it the way the team wanted to do it, because I had a great team of teachers here, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've- There are many great teachers many here. Did <laughs> you know, from Miss Carteau as a freshman teacher, oh, yeah. all the way had to Miss well. Treadway yep. as a senior. So we had a great group of people. Um, so we tried to develop the curriculum in such a way that we looked at reading, mm -hmm. and we looked at writing, basically, with, um, developing reading skills, <clears throat> excuse me, meaning that um, we wanted to we wanted to be able to develop um, a student's comprehension. We wanted to be able to develop their ability to analyze. Mm -hmm. um, and so, beginning from the very first, the freshman year, we took that aspect of responsibility and put that directly on the student mm -hmm. and help them develop that. So in our reading program, for example, I can only speak to the AP program because that's what I taught mostly. Mm -hmm. You know, we were um, looking at writers like Martin Luther King. Um, we were looking at Lars Eigner. We tried to do nonfiction and fiction. Mm -hmm. um, Death of a Salesman, for example. Those are the kinds of things that we presented to our, to our students and then looked at them as being able to, looked for them to be able to develop the ability to be able to uh, recognize what the author was getting at, what were some of the values that this particular piece was trying to, <clears throat> the author was trying to, to express and relate those all to reverence, respect, and responsibility. Mm -hmm. And then as far as the writing was concerned, <laughs> we, um, we took some of those same principles and of course focused on grammar, uh, starting students with, evaluating students, I should say, at where they stood mm -hmm. um, in their ability to be able to write properly and making sure that their grammar skills were up to, up to par 
and then their ability to construct a well-organized paragraph and then a well-organized essay. Mm -hmm. And then we, um, we tried to take that in the later years, in junior and senior year, and apply some of those analysis to being able to express an, and that analysis of a, that particular work, whatever the theme was or whatever the concept or idea was that the student wanted to express and the teacher was asking to be able to develop those in writing, mm -hmm. you know. Well, I think it was a very effective uh, means of doing that. I, I know, at least speaking for myself and many of my classmates, we became significantly better writers, especially after taking your class. Well, uh, good. I'm glad to one, hear that. <laughs> yeah. One thing in particular I remember is writing paper after paper, looking at purpose, technique, and effectiveness, and really starting for the first time in my life, like thinking about why did the author write this the way he wrote it or she wrote it? What was the goal? What were they trying to, you know, uh, what message, message were they trying to send? Right. Was it effective? Is this something I could use later in my own piece of writing? Uh, if you could just speak a little bit to that. I think that's a valuable skill set that certainly helped me in life. Um, yeah. and so, so what I'm, what I'm, would ask you, Luke, yeah. is, is was that something that you could utilize from the time that you learned it in, mm -hmm. in what you were doing, not only in college, but also in your work? Yeah, uh, I mean, certainly going to law school and now as, a, as an attorney, I mean, that's very valuable. You know, looking at what source of information is this coming from? Is it coming from a court? Is it coming from, you know, an institution? Or is it just coming from an individual who may have right. a very good point? And, you know, looking at how the argument is built, is it effective? Is it something I can use in my work later? And then also looking at, you know, the validity of the message that's being made. Mm -hmm. You know, if this is, a, you know, something that should be believed or should be doubted or something that should be researched further, you know, I think that's something that uh, in today's day and age, whether it's, you know, fake news or disinformation. There seems to be a lot of people who are concerned with the legitimacy of sources. Right. And I think that was a great approach. It's helped me try to navigate everything that's going on. You see so many things that are put out there. Uh, so I, I'm very thankful for having uh, your class and having that skill set. That's great. Yeah. You know, so some of the other things that we try to express, too, is when you're looking at a source, because you brought that up, mm -hmm. when we're looking at a source, um, how reliable is that source? We want to start with that um, because there's so much out there on the internet right now. Um, when you were here, did we still have a library? We did. We it was, did. It, okay. it was still used. <laughs> Good. It was the uh, the end was uh, you could see it coming, but we still right. had trips to the library. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we don't find libraries like we used to anymore, mm -hmm. um, and we used to require you to have so many printed resources and so many magazine resources and we used to require you to uh, be able to account for those mm -hmm. so you know but those sources had to be reliable mm -hmm. um, you couldn't just um, make them up or use uh, wiki <laughs> as yeah. we used to say um, so we couldn't really add, allow you to do that so not only did they have to be reliable, but they had to be sufficient. You had mm -hmm. to have enough of those resources that backed up your position or looked at both sides of an issue, whatever you were doing, compare, contrast, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to be able to, to do that. Um, and were they representative of what you were trying to say, you know, on topic, making sure that, you know, you're not straying too far from what was going on. And I, I think in today's world, we're talking about things like Black Lives Matter that we mentioned before, or COVID, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and 
all of those issues that we're looking at right now, uh, especially the po political side of um, our world right now, all of those issues really require us to to research and to find out what's really true because mm -hmm. there's so much information out there, as you said, misinformation and disinformation, mm -hmm. so much out there right now that we have to um, in really insist that our students look at reliable information. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's that's really important. Yeah, no, mm -hmm. and it's a valuable you know uh, toolkit, skill set that you've given students to be able to do that. And I think one of the other challenges too is just how quickly news comes in or disinformation, whatever it might be, whether it's Twitter, you know, the right. stories can now right. spread faster than ever before. And, you know, that approach and, take, you know, researching the issue and thinking about something, you know, there's a slowness to that process. And it's not as, you know, exactly. as sexy as, uh, you know, whatever the latest tweet or hashtag is. is. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. You know, seeing so the value, that's important, I think. When you were in school mm -hmm. at that point, I, I don't mean college, although I'm talking about high school, as, as our students are here, um, what was it that you used? You went to the library, yeah. right? There, I think the closest thing no... we had was Wikipedia, which maybe had been yeah, edited. <laughs> that's right, yeah. exactly. So, uh, you know, what, the changes that were made. Mm -hmm. When I was first started to teach, we had no computers. Mm -hmm. um, everything that I, had, I did, I had to type out, and I typed it out on a long sheet of paper, about 9 by 11, at, or nine, 9 by 14, I mean. And um, as you typed it out, it would put little holes in this green sheet of paper. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and if you made a mistake, you had to take this liquid and, and white, kind of white it out. Mm -hmm. and, put it, and then we put it on this machine that rolled off the copies, you know. So th we were talking about back in those days, there was nothing mm -hmm. like what we have today. Um, and it, it's a shame because I would have loved it. <laughs> I had all those things back it. then. It would have made it a lot yeah. easier. I can't tell you how many times I retyped an assignment that I had to give to a student. But, um, but at any rate, yeah, it, it has changed dramatically, I think, mm -hmm. since then. Uh, some for the better and some for the worse. But yeah. um, we still, all of us, have to be very cautious of where our sources are coming from, where's the information coming from. And um, it... It is, um, it, it is sad. Yeah. It really is, I think, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't disagree. Um, and I think it goes back to the point you made earlier where there's a responsibility aspect to it. Right, Taking exactly. accountability of the news you're consuming and thinking about it and deciding for yourself, you know, right. what, uh, what is the best thing. Because yeah. we yeah. are living in uh, quite an age. There are many important issues going on Yeah, right now. exactly. Um, but, and getting, I guess, you know, Touching upon COVID, uh, you know, there's been so many different ways it's upended everything. Obviously, we have remote learning going on in many parts of the mm -hmm. country. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's been economic suffering. Certainly, there's been suffering in terms of health and the direct devastation from the virus. Uh, for students, you know, who are struggling right now for remote learning, do you have any thoughts on COVID or this moment in time and how to think about it and how to best uh, approach what's a difficult moment? You started your career. Yeah. In a, you know, what would be a difficult moment for the country? Absolutely. Um, I'd just say hang in there. Mm -hmm. Just hang in there. Um, there's nothing like that face-to-face -face, um, help that you can get from a, an instructor and a teacher. If I'm standing in a classroom looking at a student's eyes and I know whether they've got it or they don't, mm -hmm. 
uh, we don't really have that. It's difficult to get do that online. Uh, in my work with the homebound students, we have gone to virtual learning, and it has been a difficult, a difficult challenge. Um, but um, I think that if we can just hang in there and get through this, get our, all get our vaccinations and mm -hmm. and um, socially distance for however long we need to, that certainly by this time next year mm -hmm. we'll be back at it yeah. and the things will be a lot better. Yeah, I think we've all realized how much we miss that person-to-person uh, -person connection yeah. and there is no replacement for it. And I, hopefully we are getting quite close. So Yeah, um, I think so too. Yeah. It's been, it, it, it has been very uplifting for me to see that um, people in nursing homes are getting um, vaccinated and we can solve that problem for a little bit and then mm -hmm. we'll move on. Yeah. So that'll be great. Great. Um, so in your retirement, if you could just speak a little bit, what's one thing you miss about teaching? You know, maybe it is that student-student connection. I know you're still working part-time and you've had a chance to work with some students as they've moved on to yeah. college and to graduate school. Uh, but when, what's one thing you miss about teaching most? Well, I think just the connection with the kids, mm -hmm. but I do get to get a little bit of that. Yeah. So because I've been working with the Scottsdale Unified School District this year, as I was um, had mentioned before, um, I really have not had any students this year because every, everybody's virtual. Mm -hmm. So that has worked out well, and especially for them because they don't feel so much not a part of what's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, the students that I would be teaching are students with um, serious illnesses, cancer, um, and going through treatment. Wow. Um, some students who are um, uh, have anxiety, depression, uh, those kinds of things. So, you know, it's difficult for those kids and having that one-on-one -on -one contact has always been very helpful. And, and it's actually been really quite good because I've really been able to make an impact in the, that student's educational mm -hmm. um, education. And so um, it, for me, that's been a blessing. It really has. So doing that, and then, of course, as you mentioned, the essays with, um, I've, I have a lot of students who come back and need <laughs> help with the essays to get into college and graduate school and that kind of thing. And that's mm -hmm. been um, a great deal of fun too. Um, renew my relationship with those students and be able to help them in any way that I can. Great. Um, so we'd like to end each podcast uh, with a question and keeping with the name of the podcast, uh, Forever Seeking. What is something in your life that you are forever seeking and who is a saint that possesses the values that you seek to model your life after? Um, well, um, <clears throat> I think just helping others is mm -hmm. um, the thing that I've really um, found time to do now that I didn't have when I was teaching um, because I was so busy doing that. But um, yeah, I think so. Uh, St. Francis de Sales is kind of an interesting saint uh, to me. Um, it all started back when I was younger. Um, mm -hmm. I was just a little kid and my father had a cousin who was a pastor at St. Francis de Sales School and parish. And so every year they used to have a carnival and mm -hmm. we would go to the carnival and, and some of the booths were you know, set up so that uh, they related to a saint or related to some principle of the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a fun time. Um, and then my, we, my family talked about St. Francis de Sales and, and uh, his importance as a saint. And during the Protestant Reformation, 
he um, tried to, he went to Switzerland and tried to convert a number of people um, and he was having no luck mm -hmm. whatsoever. Um, I mean, I'm talking about rocks got thrown at him, doors slammed in the face. Oh, gosh. I mean, the poor guy, he really had a hard time. But he, what he found was that if he could get to the kids and mm -hmm. start working with them, then the adults would begin to trust him. So he did do that, mm -hmm. and he would just find unique ways of trying to teach about the faith. Um, he would write out his sermons and slide them under the doors, you know, <laughs> so that people would read them. Um, and so uh, I just have really admired his tenacity mm -hmm. at being able to do something. Um, he's probably pretty much known as a, the patron saint of journalists and writers, so that also helps. Quite fitting. <laughs> Quite fitting, <laughs> right, exactly. And... Um, and so uh, that kind of fits in, but, but I could really relate to his difficulty in trying to get people to understand mm -hmm. what, what you're trying to tell them. Yeah. So there, there have been a few in a classroom who have not been so good as you were. Yeah, I hope no one threw rocks or anything. <laughs> no, 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 we were good, we were good. Good. Yeah, we, we managed to keep that un under control. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, I think that message really came through and, you know, forever seeking truth, I guess, is one way of putting it. Yes, and, yes. you know, that responsibility of taking account of your own life and, you know, pursuing knowledge and using that to make yourself a better person and understand right. the world around you and, what, and what's going on. You know, and I think that if anyone says, if you've reached one person and made a difference in their life, it's been all worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the way I feel too. Yeah. Well, yeah. you have made a, certainly made a difference in countless lives, Thank myself you. included. I would not be where I am today without your help. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be the writer. I certainly wouldn't be able to approach the world I am without your guidance. Uh, so on that note, we want to thank you, Lynn, for being You're with us here today. Welcome. Thank You're you for you know, all of your pleasure. contributions to NDP and for your work and commitment, really, to helping kids, no matter where they are, who they are, where they come from. So Good. thank you. That's what life's all about. <laughs> I agree. Uh, okay. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn and Luke, for joining us on Forever Seeking. And thank you again to the Knockin family for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I would like to encourage all of our alumni to stay connected with us at www.ndpsaints.org slash alumni slash stay dash connected. We invite you to subscribe to Notre Dame Prep on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts and watch for our next episode. Go Saints!